0: Hi there. Welcome back to the Real Film Chronicles podcast. As always, I'm Nathan. And I'm Brian. And in today's episode, we're going to be taking a look at a little film called The Batman. Or, should I say, in today's episode, we're going to be taking a little look <laughs> at a film called <laughs> The Batman.
1: Oh my goodness. A hundred percent right. I'm glad we had a little uh, Batman show up to do that introduction for us here. I am the night.
0: I am vengeance.
1: <laughs> he does get called vengeance quite a bit in this movie. Eh? Like I, I mean, It wasn't just like a throwaway line at the, at the beginning, but the Batman 2022, how many years or how far did this movie get pushed back? due to the pandemic, was this supposed to come out in 2021 or
0: 2020? Yeah, it was definitely, I want to say 2020, but maybe it was 2021. Definitely got pushed back a couple times. The due date got pushed back, I think. Not due date. So it wasn't a baby, but like the release date, (laughs) I meant to say, (laughs) got pushed back quite a bit due due to the pandemic. So, um, I think fans of Batman and fans of comic books slash superhero movies in general have been waiting for this for a, for a little bit longer than they had initially anticipated,
1: without a doubt.
0: Although, considering that we we just got off the uh, um, Ben Affleck's version of the Batman, what a couple of years ago. I yeah, mean, we. I guess we can't say that Batman fans have been waiting too long to see Batman on screen again. So, right. It's all yeah, relative, it's just, I guess.
1: I feel like it's going to be a pretty steady stream of Batman films, <laughs> and it's kind of <laughs> nice knowing. Or maybe, I mean, maybe it's not nice. I mean, some people are opposed to sort of rebooting series and characters, but personally, I'm a fan of having a version of Batman event a few years later, we had a different version of Batman and it's like, I'm, I'm all up for it. It's just more Batman films and we get more interesting takes on things. But I should introduce the movie here. Yes. In his second year of fighting crime, Batman uncovers corruption in Gotham City that connects to his own family while facing a serial killer known as the Riddler. This is directed by Matt Reeves, starring quite a few famous faces. Oh yeah, obviously Robert Pattinson as Batman, Bruce Wayne, uh, Zoe Kravitz, Paul Dano, Jeffrey Wright, John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard, Andy Serkis, and Colin Farrell. And I mean, the list goes on from there. But that's that's sort of your main your main cast there. Are you a fan of some of Matt Reeves' other films? He's done. A couple of the Plan of the Apes movies, like the the newer ones that came out, he did Cloverfield, which uh, definitely one of my favorites. And uh, that's kind of all that I recognize. And supposedly
0: they gave him a whole trilogy, I think, to work with here, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I'm assuming that just because it's Batman and it's one of the most popular superhero characters of all time, that they're just, a trilogy is kind of like a foregone conclusion at this point. Yeah. But in terms of Matt Reeves, yeah, the Planet of the Apes trilogy is what really put me put him on my radar. He didn't direct the first one, right? Or did he direct the first I one? I don't.
1: Uh, let me double check here, but no, he did Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and yeah.
0: War of the Planet of the Apes. Probably explains why um, the the first one there. What was the first one again? Rise of and the, the rise Planet. Rise of, of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's my least favorite of the trilogy. But when Matt Reeves took over and did the two sequels, there, um, yeah, they really. Uh, blew my mind. Like the, I was not expecting that level of quality of filmmaking as soon as I, after I saw those and like the, the special effects um, and then just like, yeah, it's like just really, really well done movies. And, and yeah. that's why I was super excited for what, uh, to see what Reeves was going to do with um, the Batman.
1: Yeah. Because playing of the apes, uh, I'm kind of expecting a bit of a cash in, uh, like on a big budget cash in to make these Hollywood films. And we get not only those great special effects, but we get some pretty decent story and like some great character work in, in Caesar, right? Really, really interesting.
0: I was really surprised. Like uh, I was more emotionally connected to those apes than yeah. I am to a lot of other like human characters in <laughs> it's um, most modern blockbusters.
1: It's true. And then we have the Batman. I mean, this is hotly anticipate like this people were really looking forward to this this film
0: were you pretty amped for this um yeah so to put it in context i mean um batman has always been one of my favorite um superheroes uh, growing up with tim burton's version of the batman and then batman yeah. the animated series it was even more kind of ingrained in me and then um you know like nolan's dark knight trilogy still you know i hold that up as like a high water mark of, For sure, for movies in general, but also for the specifically comic book movies, I'll I'll use the Dark Knight trilogies like uh, my benchmark for evaluating um, other superhero movies.
1: It's pretty fair to say we've been spoiled by Batman content. I mean, and I'm happy you brought up the animated series from the '90s that really defined what I expect kind of out of Batman. It's like that made me a Batman fan for life, probably.
0: Yeah, were you were you? Hotly anticipating this? Like where does Batman rank in your favorite uh, superheroes? I know Spider-Man's on top for you for favorite superheroes. Spider-Man,
1: yeah, definitely Spider-Man is, is way up there. Batman, for sure. I mean, if if you were to do a count of all my old comics from, from when I was younger, <laughs> I probably had, like, Spider-Man is number one in, in pure issue count. And then it probably goes to Batman. But the big factor for Batman, which is my graphic novel and trade uh, paperback collection, and even going into stores, you can see... Like Batman comics probably make up 20% of my entire <laughs> uh, trade paperback collection because some of the stories are so iconic and so like they just, they're immortal. They, they just, they're they going to live forever and they're so interesting and it's been really neat seeing all the popular uh, films dip into each and every single one for their inspiration. And it's like no... If you've read some of those original ones, you can see that poking through, I mean, obviously in this movie, uh, obviously in the uh, Nolan Batman movies, and maybe a little less so with the uh, Schumacher Batman, but I think it's fair to say that I grew up with the Adam West Batman from the 60s as well, right? Uh, I think you know Sunday afternoons. I wa- yeah. W- yeah, watching that with my dad, and we would still watch every, uh, episodes every so often. Yeah, and I remember seeing the original Batman movie with Adam West probably before I saw the the Tim Burton Batman. So it's like, can I say if we were like born at this perfect time of to like really consume all Batman media like really really well? But in terms of anticipation. You know, I I find myself getting less excited for these big tentpole releases as I get a bit older, just maybe because I've seen so much of it before. And I mean, we've had the Nolan Batman not that long ago. And then we have Ben Affleck's Batman in the Snyderverse. And I can appreciate that turnout as well. And it's like, I'm just kind of accustomed to seeing Batman movies now.
0: I I don't know. Yeah. And like you said too, like I don't have, I was never a huge comic book collector on and. As I got to be an adult, it just made more sense. The trade paperback route just made more sense yeah. instead of collecting individual comics because like honestly, I just where do you start? But I would say also like the bulk of my trade paperbacks that I have, it's mostly Batman stories uh, right. <laughs> Can you think of a couple like offhand that you'd you'd go back to regularly? Oh, yeah, like the Dark Knight Returns for sure by yes. by Frank Miller 40. is just yeah. um just a phenomenal story uh, in and of itself. Um, the whole, that whole kind of trilogy, I guess the, uh, Batman year or loosely a trilogy, I guess like Batman year one. And then the dark Knight it's returns. It's kind of like Miller's. Yeah. Miller trilogy Knight of strikes stuff back. Because, I think is the third one, Yeah, which for me is, it's a very, the strikes back is kind of the, the redheaded stepchild, I guess. It's not, not quite as good as the other ones, but it's still, it's, it's really neat to, to go through and read.
1: It, uh, it came out like a couple decades after the previous, uh, miller entries so it doesn't have like sense. kind of that same edge to it it's like miller i want to say like he lost a little bit of uh credibility with that but definitely the more 80s miller is kind of like him at his peak uh, doing batman like year one dark knight uh really really good stories and maybe a yeah. little more modern for me like the long halloween and dark victory right. i find myself rereading those every couple of years hush yeah uh, Hush, uh, I think I read that once. Okay. I haven't gone back to it, but okay. <laughs> I, I think that's a popular one as well. And then there was uh, stuff like Court of Owls, which is a little more recent. And by recent, I'm probably talking like <laughs> 10 years ago. Because I think that was a new 52 uh, DC uh, event. But I kind of thought maybe, watching some of the previews for the Batman, that this was going to be a little bit of Court of Owls activity going on here, which is kind of like that. Yeah. But I think that probably the Secret Society that's kind of like, Secretly running Gotham probably plays too close to the Nolan Batman, which used the uh, Ra's al
0: Ghul kind of trying to destroy Gotham. It was like that secret society well, trying to destroy them, right? Sort of. I would have liked... I mean, we'll get into I get the nitty gritty of kind of what we liked and what we, we didn't like and where we sat with the Batman film. But like, I felt like Court of Owls, you're, like, that would have been a really neat take and to take the Batman movie someplace really different instead of someplace that we've really seen before. Yeah. (laughs) You want to start off with overall impressions or maybe like go into like what we liked about the film and then what we didn't like. And then kind of.
1: Yeah. I would love to uh, start off with, with our overall impression of, of the movie. I mean, we are not in spoilers yet, so that's good. Like what do you walk away with uh, thinking of this film?
0: Yeah. Listen, so this was really um, the first movie that I went to see kind of, in a post COVID world. I did go to Mm -hmm. see Shang-Chi with, it was like a work kind of like employee appreciation event. So I did go to see, but that didn't really count. It was like, yeah, yeah. I had to go watch this. (laughs) So the Batman was really the first time I went with my son. And so for me, it was like this huge, this is a great experience to be able to go to a theater to see a new Batman movie on the big screen and share that with my son. Like my parents had, you know, shared with me. And honestly, like, In terms of overall experience, I don't think it was a perfect movie, but watching the movie there, and maybe it was partially that sharing that experience with my son, I was like I had a grin on my face a lot of the time, like watching some of this. Like there's certain (laughs) scenes are just like it was just like a ton of fun to watch Batman, Batman Batmaning it up on the big screen in that environment, in that time, in that place with my with my son. But overall, overall, I enjoyed it. Although I thought there were. Um kind of a few key flaws that kept it from achieving, you know, maybe the iconic status that so many people yeah. um have been listen, people I think audience reactions have been overwhelmingly positive and people calling this like the definitive Batman and like the best Batman movie ever. And I'm not quite with that crowd yet. Where where do you stand? How what was your overall impression of the Batman? Yeah,
1: like you said, the theater experience for this was absolutely lit up. It was a lot of fun, and I think it was kind of nice going in and watching a movie that is Batman like through and through because we haven't gone van since the Nolan trilogy, the Ben Affleck Batman. He is a very shared universe, like right from the beginning. You, you know, like Batman v Superman. It's you know three or three and a half hours of him sharing the screen. It's a very different yeah. take on Batman, like at a different part of his of his superhero career. And it was kind of fun going back to a more raw Batman experience. Like uh, I really enjoyed that it's, you know, quote unquote, a second year being Batman. Yeah. He might be a little rough around the edges, but just to have him in his own title again was a lot of fun. There was a lot of great moments in this movie, a lot of really fun cinematography and characters on screen. Uh, like you said, I, I'm I'm like at the edge of my seat for most of this movie, I'm having a ton of fun, and this one I actually remembered to wear my watch that does my heart rate. <laughs> and after watching, after walking out of the movie, you know I unsilence my my phone and my my watch, and it comes up that your heart rate got a little high. For doing absolutely just for sitting there, you might want to look into that. It's like, hmm, I wonder if I should line that up with some of the scenes in the movie to see what really got me excited, right? But uh, no, it was a it was a ton of fun. I had a blast watching this film, that uh, I think I rated highly as as,
0: as a result. There, yes, yeah, so you want to kind of dig into start digging into this and see, like, maybe we'll start with like uh, the good parts of this, what we really liked about this. I'll start off with the positive. Yeah, what was the main
1: positive takeaway for you on this?
0: Well, let me just pull up my notes for Batman, I prepare.
1: It's kind of funny (laughs) when I was revisiting this last night, like I rewatched it for, now that it's on on streaming, rewatching this, and it's just like, I'm watching it with a little more of a critical eye, and I think more more of my notes were a little negative. That took away from the film a little bit, but also just kind of poking at the movie a little bit. These are bits that I don't really care about too much. Like
0: I'm going to... Poke some holes here a little bit, but overall, is like you're gonna you might think that I don't like the movie, but like overall, I really did like the movie. Um, yeah, but I thought it was like good, but not great. So So, that's the best way,
1: yeah. Maybe a a little uh disclaimer, but we're gonna get in spoilers from here on out. It might sound pretty negative, but I I guarantee (laughs) you, we're probably both gonna rate this pretty highly. Um, not to preempt what you're gonna talk about in your positivity, but I mean, how do we (laughs) talk about um. Batman without the villain. I mean, Batman movies have historically mostly been about the, the villains. Like you go back to Burns Batman. It was really about the Joker and Jack Nicholson. Batman returns is really about Catwoman and the penguin. Yeah. How did you feel about the Riddler here played by Paul Dano? Was this guy incredible uh, listen, or did it not work for you?
0: Paul Dano's performance was great. Yeah. And there were certain elements of the character um, that were great. One of the things I really liked about, the Batman was the obvious influences that Matt Reeves was pulling from, specifically of David Fincher movies. Yeah, um, you could really see, especially, um, specifically, I'm talking about like uh, Seven and Zodiac, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could see, like the overall atmosphere, um, which again. Like Matt Reeves did an amazing job, and the cinematographer whose name escapes me at the moment, they did an amazing yeah. job setting up the atmosphere of the film. And just like Seven, it's constantly raining, <laughs> yeah, until like the very <laughs> end, right? So you get that, just like everything feels oppressive and dark, um, very Batman-esque. Um, but the Riddler was obviously had um, components of um, the character John Doe from Seven. Yeah, I mean, they even had a, when they found his apartment, even had like the the stacks of journals. Almost it was almost an identical scene from seven yeah
1: I, I I kind of thought when I first saw that I was just like did the seven like apartment they rented or whatever with all those journals was it still available for this movie <laughs> yeah
0: I guess so I guess after John Doe um spoilers died in in seven um the Riddler rented his apartment out I guess <laughs> um but then also the zodiac killer from zodiac um or I guess the zodiac killer from real life. Um, With all the, obviously the the Riddler symbol there looked very kind of Zodiac-esque, and then he was leaving all those codes behind, which if you looked at that, the pages of like all the symbols, and if you looked at the actual notes left by the real life Zodiac killer or the Zodiac killer in the movie Zodiac, I'm saying Zodiac way more often than I thought I would ever (laughs) say Zodiac. (laughs) (laughs) Obvious parallels there, which was really, I liked that. It was one of the things I liked, but it was also one of the things I didn't
1: like. Did it help to add like that to the sort of like the, the realism of the movie? Do you think that like benefited the film?
0: Well, I like what they did with the Riddler and made the Riddler an actual because like if you look at um, a lot of the other media where the Riddler has appeared, like he was never a really credible villain. If you're trying to transpose yeah. him into like the Batman, it's obviously trying to do a little bit like the Nolan um Dark Knight trilogy, where it's like kind of be more grounded and in the real world. Yeah. Um, But also paying homage to I think the nineteen eighty-nine Batman Tim Burton Batman where it's like it doesn't feel the it's not explaining every little gadget and everything. It's just like here's Batman and he's got his stuff and that's just the way it is. So there's like there's a there's a mix kind of going on there. But it's it's by and large, like supposed to be a very, very grounded feel. And the Riddler as a serial killer, all of a sudden the Riddler this is the first time I've ever seen a story with the Riddler where he was seemed like a credible threat. And like a, an actual danger to the yeah. to Batman or to anybody else, right?
1: Like in my experience, the Riddler was always kind of a side character, especially in a lot of the comics. Like he was there, kind of antagonizing Batman, but he was a little more jokey, and especially because yeah. the riddles themselves will kind of be humorous. Uh, he didn't really seem that that much of a threat, and most notably. I'm more familiar with the Riddler through the Arkham games, like Arkham Asylum and and Arkham City, where he's very much part of the background, just
0: throwing clues around town,
1: right? So I did
0: like that he came off as unhinged and this kind of, he was a serial killer, but he was this like, this force in the darkness. Like, yeah, it was really scary. Um, What I didn't like about the Riddler was when they tried to, they hewed too close to Ledger's joker i found in certain elements of his performance okay i think that ledger's performance as the joker and the dark knight is still hanging large over the batman mythos Yeah. and i feel like paul dano was like not to like paul dano did a, an amazing job truly like you get the sense that this character's unhinged and there's something not quite right with him but when he, that interrogation scene which was a great scene in and of itself but i think he was channeling ledger's joker just a little bit too much and i think that's one of the kind of um, underlying issues I had with the movie is that there was this border between um, inspiration and imitation. And I think it's a razor's edge. And I think that a couple times the movie fell off a little bit on the side of imitation as opposed to the inspiration side. Right. Yeah. But overall the Riddler was like, this was a, it was a really, really good villain that really fit in Matt Reeves world.
1: Yeah, no, I, and I really liked his introduction there when he's basically kind of a voyeur looking at the mayor in his apartment. And then we cut to inside the mayor's apartment and he's watching TV. And as he steps away, you see like the, the silhouette yeah. of the Joker. It's like, you don't necessarily know, sorry, not the Joker, the Riddler. <laughs> yeah, um, You got me exactly. thinking of the Joker here, right? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, he's just this ominous, mysterious figure in the back and he's just- he just goes absolutely ham with like that first murder. It's like, this is a very, yeah. like, this is, this is a maniac here. And he's very imposing on, I like in, that. Scenes.
0: The, the murder wasn't clean. It was very kind of rough. It was emotional for him. Yeah. You can tell he's breathing heavy afterward. And that's what made it unsettling is like how kind of realistic that was. Like, cause like you look at a lot of violence in in movies and TV shows, and it's so clean and sanitized and in the Batman unfortunately like it gets a little bit sanitized too at some points but like that yeah. first scene it's so like messy and yeah. disturbing it's like it's, it, raw. It, it's raw and it's like yeah that murder was like yeah like that looked like it was I felt unsettled watching that I'll say that yeah.
1: can I just say that there were a few moments in my rewatch where the Riddler like Paul Dano is is monologuing a few times and he reaches different heights and he's, he's his characters going to different places and I felt like I could hear Jeff Bridges, like he was channeling Jeff Bridges (laughs) in a few of these scenes, and if that just get me on this track of, man, wouldn't an older Riddler be interesting? Where it's just it's Jeff Bridges doing, being Jeff Bridges, just being Jeff Bridges, right? Just a really angry dude, and it's just I don't know. It was just a little side that's awesome when I was watching, I was just like, oh, I wonder if he took some inspiration from some of,
0: uh, well, like he was already, uh, he was already the villain. He was Obadiah Stane in Iron Man, right? Just like, just have him be the villain in every superhero movie. I would be down with that. If Jeff Bridges was in every superhero movie (laughs) as the villain. (laughs) It's (laughs) amazing.
1: (laughs) So obviously we have the Riddler. We also have another villain slash hero slash love interest in Catwoman played by Zoe Kravitz. Um, where do you land on Catwoman here?
0: Listen, again, Zoe Kravitz, amazing actor. I think this is the year of Zoe Kravitz where she's really like she was yeah. in Kimmy. Um, she's in the Batman. I know she's been doing work, but like she's really kind of starting to. I think she's going to. This is the year that people are going to like. She's going to become a household name. She did yeah. an amazing job. I felt it was just like hewing a little bit too close to what we've seen before. Like it didn't bring anything new to the character. Not that it not that it has to be genre changing or it has to like bring yeah. something like groundbreaking every time, but I felt like I would just seen this with Anne Hathaway not that long ago in terms of, it was a character- very similar arc. arc
1: to Anne's uh, Catwoman.
0: right? Yeah. No. Yeah. Which is again, one of the frustrations I had with the movie was like, for me, like the movie was always just like, there was, amazing scenes in and of themselves, but it lacked the overall kind of arc or connecting tissue. And it was like, the frustrating thing was like, Oh, this movie for me was like, it was really good. It could have been like great. It could have been phenomenal, but it was just like these little, little roadblocks that kept, just kept holding it back. But like Catwoman is always a great foil for Batman because they're both these morally ambiguous characters. Yeah. And I think in the comics and even in the animated show, um, there's this kind of, um, sexual tension or there's like that relationship between them, like where they want to have a a romantic relationship or that, that level intimacy, but their lives and their choices in life kind of um, prohibit that. And there's that kind of, there's that kind of element about it, which did really well in this of kind of humanizing both of them as well. And like being each other's anchors um, emotionally and psychologically. What did you think? One of the things I really liked about Catwoman, I mean aside from this killer Zoe
1: Kravitz performance is just seeing her in Kimia a little while ago is just like, yeah, she's one to look out for. I liked that Selena Kyle here is acting with her own agency throughout most of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think I sent you a text message about this uh, after watching it is that she is really like her story. She she doesn't necessarily need Batman in yeah. her life. She doesn't need to do his help to go through and we see her just sort of like pop up in different scenes because the Batman story and Catwoman story are intersecting with some similar characters, but there could very well be a full Catwoman story here, like a whole movie that's maybe half as long as this one where she gets to basically (laughs) investigate the murder of her friend. Right. And I thought that was great agency for, for her characters. She was really well done here.
0: The Bat-C-U, it's like half standalone movies, but like the one scene That really exemplifies that. Um, When they're doing the investigation, and she goes undercover um, into the bar with, like, into the club within the club. I think it's like, was it the Iceberg Lounge? But then there's like the Forty Four Below is like the club between in the club. It's like be in the know. It's also I want to. Um, give a shout out because that was like a whole video game sequence where she had like the contact lens and she was, she was getting like the input from the uh, yeah, yeah. mission control is like, oh, yeah, you got to go talk to this person. Look him in the eye. It's like this is getting yeah. just huge video game vibes from this, which was like it was a fun little what uh, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it was kind of neat in terms of the conflicting motivations and, and her having her own agency. Batman was like, oh, this person mentioned something about, you know, like the rat or like the, the stool pigeon yeah. or whatever they were looking well, the for. The DA is- mentions the rat. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, stay on him. I was like, no, but somebody else mentioned Annika, her missing friend. And she's like, yeah. no, I'm following up on the lead for Annika. He's like, and he, Batman's getting visibly upset. He's like, no, stay with the, we, we need to unravel this bigger mystery. Yeah. He's like, I, I don't, and she's like, I don't care about you and your mystery. My friend needs help. And I'm that's the only reason I agree to do this. Let's yeah. see those conflicting motivations, and it's like, yes, yeah, sh- you get the feeling that these people, especially, it's especially important for female characters because, like, female characters are usually written as always being motivated by, um, the men or being damsels in distress, and and falling into those kind of, um, you know, powerless archetypes. So to see this, see this kind of narrative structure where the female characters have their own goals and motivations and their, their strengths and their weaknesses, I think um, is telling to um, how far we're, you know, the steps that we're taking culturally um, to, to kind of even out those disparities between um, men and women, right?
1: And a very pointed uh, commentary when she's going through the club and she has, you know, the male gaze, all these guys looking at her, you know, catcalling her, all this stuff. And Batman makes a comment, it's just like, Oh wow, it's just like this is what it's like, right? It's she's just like these guys she's like, yeah, all women are dealing with with these types of comments and looks constantly. Yeah,
0: it was nice to recognize a superhero film. He's like he says something like, Um, yeah, these guys have trouble maintaining eye contact. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, Yeah, it's great, isn't it? And it's like <laughs> it's a nice, nice little bit of kind of social commentary and, and otherwise kind of, you know. Fun superhero ride. And
1: I'm not sure if I was picking up on like a a theme for Catwoman, but definitely Batman Returns with Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman definitely had her own musical cues and theme. And I kept hearing a bit of that. And it's just like, it's the same kind of like violin sounds from Batman Returns. It just sends shivers up my spine every time I hear it because I'm reminded of that nostalgia for the old movie. And it's just like, yeah, this is... This is Catwoman has always been a very compelling character on screen. Just such a great foil for, for
0: Batman. It would be great to have this like, yeah, have a Catwoman movie, like you're saying, and then Batman comes in a little bit. But it's like, it would be great to follow other characters in, in the Batverse. Like have like a yeah. Catwoman movie, have a Penguin movie, have a Nightwing movie, have these other movies, and then come together like an MCU style Avengers yeah, movie. Yeah. And that's what the Batman movie is. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be a different take.
1: If that has to bring us into talking about the Penguin. Played by yeah. Colin Farrell, and play,
0: supposedly played by Colin Farrell in the role that James yeah. Gandolfini was born to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly, honestly, for not sure. Not to take away from Colin Farrell's performance, which was amazing. was yeah. like I was just like, every, as soon as he came on screen and doing like the kind of like New York, New Jersey accent, it's like, hey, yeah. oh, what, what's going on over here? It's like, <laughs> and James Gandolfini was like, he would have yeah. been perfect for this role, right?
1: <laughs> and supposedly he's going to get his own HBO Max like TV series which could kind of be a hint at that greater uh, BCU, the Batman cinematic universe <laughs> of, of having these characters doing their own things. And the way the Batman finishes is basically the penguin being able to uh, like grab at the, the void of power that happens when uh, Falcone is, is dead and gone. Right.
0: Oh, well, hashtag spoilers.
1: <laughs> well, we t- we gave a spoiler <laughs> alert earlier okay. in the show. <laughs> I think, I think we're fair game at this point, but yeah, I mean, he was almost unrecognizable. It's like,
0: Rewatching yeah, it, I can see which, like
1: I can see his eyes, and it's just like okay, that is Colin Farrell. But I still
0: I can't see Colin Farrell in the role. makeup. But that brings me to another point: is like Colin Farrell did an amazing job. He's an amazing actor. So he's going to do a bang up job. Why bury Colin Farrell in you know fifty pounds of makeup and prosthetics yeah, yeah. when he's in three or four scenes? It's like why not give that to like a character actor if you want somebody who's a bit larger. And who, yeah. who fits that archetype is like there were character actors out there who could, who could do this role. Like why it was just, it's an odd choice. Right. I don't know. It was weird to me. It honestly reminded me of X-Men Apocalypse
1: where Oscar Isaac is cast as Apocalypse and put under a hundred pounds of yeah. like purple makeup and, and prosthetics. It's just like, you don't even know it's Oscar Isaac. looks nothing like him. You could get. Yeah, a, a solid character actor. that's gonna be able to do these things, but maybe
0: they cast Colin Farrell just as a method to the madness. Maybe, but it's like yeah. it was great, amazing makeup, great performance again. But again, this question is like, I mean, why? It's like you look at the casting, like in Batman Returns of Danny DeVito. It's like amazing, right? He, he fits like fits like that kind of like that body type and that physique you're looking for, right? It's like why yeah. put somebody in a in a fat suit when like when you could like, just look for, like put in a casting call for, you know, Italian American stereotype number yeah. 365. Hey, <laughs> I'm walking over here. <laughs>
1: How did you feel about Andy Circus as, uh, Alfred, uh, Bruce's butler? Uh, this well, probably should lead into a bigger conversation about the presence or maybe the lack thereof of Bruce Wade in this movie.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you mean, you gotta be careful because if you blink, you literally miss Andy Circus in this movie.
1: <laughs> it's one of those things where Andy Circus. I mean, I, l- I love this actor. He's, he's doing all sorts of good stuff. And he's in here for just a few minutes and half the movie, he's basically injured in a hospital bed. It's just like, you got to do something better with, with it, with Andy. Man, but Alfred was the story is like
0: is. criminally underused. they done, they done Alfred dirty son. He was given yeah. nothing to do. And even like the, like you look at, something like the Dark Knight Trilogy or you'll even look at um, Tim Burton's um, Batman films. Alfred was a key character, right? In, mm-hmm. um, it was a, one of the key links to um, Bruce Wayne's humanity, right? Which is always that dichotomy between Bruce Wayne and Batman. That dichotomy in the psychology between those two identities was always a key factor and Alfred's kind of you know, father-like relationship, uh, mentor-like relationship with um, Bruce Wayne slash Batman. That was always a key, that was a key part of the character, that relationship. And to see it missing here, to see, I thought what they were going to do when he wakes up in that, in the hospital and they're having that kind of heart to heart. And he realizes like Bruce Wayne was not really Bruce Wayne. He's just Batman the whole time. Right. So the Batman without the mask is there and uh, he's saying, "It's like, you know, I'm not afraid to die, but I'm afraid to go through the pain of losing people. I love again. I thought it was going to be like, Oh, like you're kind of like my father. I thought it was going to be like, Oh, like, you know, you know, you're my sir, you've been my surrogate father and like have that kind of emotional bonding. But instead it just like cuts away, he's,
1: he's pretty cold. Like Bruce is pretty cold in that. And even Alfred is saying, "It's just like, I tried to be the best father to you that I could, because he basically adopted Bruce after his parents were killed. It's just like, he Alfred is beating himself up saying, I kind of failed at doing that job. And Bruce is just, just like, of, yeah, I'm not really afraid of dying.
0: Okay. I but mean, next. we're told that, but we don't get to see it, unfortunately. We don't see any of it, Because yeah. Alfred's in the character for like literally like maybe five minutes of the three-hour runtime.
1: It's unfortunate because the Nolan Batman with Alfred had some pretty good words of wisdom, and he did ground ground Bruce quite a bit. He definitely added more to that character. Well, and the one poem. thing I want to s- no, go ahead. I was just going to say it uh, uh, offhand. One of the things I walked away with on the first viewing was I was so happy that there were more staff helping in oh, you know, yeah. the mansion, so to speak. It's just like we see the, the, the older lady, I don't know if she was doing oh, w- yeah. what she was doing, but at least Alfred had some staff in this one. they that always kind of drove me crazy. doubled their staff. <laughs> yeah, they doubled their staff two. for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so happy because just like, oh no, there's no way Alfred's gonna be running the Batcave and Bruce's r- regular life at the, at the same time I was like you gotta give some more staff in here at least, but yeah, yeah so go, unfortunately,
0: go Andy Circus was really underused, and um, yeah, I mean I was gonna say this to later we're getting into like more of the negatives, but since you brought it up, <laughs> I know like. When I was a kid, I always found like the Bruce Wayne parts of Batman movies super boring. And I was like, just show me the Batman again. I want to see Batman do stuff and punch bad guys in the face. But like now watching the Batman where like Bruce Wayne, A, rarely shows up and B, is exactly the same as Batman (laughs) in personality. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) all of a sudden it made me realize like that the Bruce Wayne character is so important to the Batman character and like those two identities and the conflict between them or the tension between those two identities is really core to the character. And well, that to me was like a fundamental flaw of what kept this movie from being great. And it, kept yeah. it just being good. Is like, it was almost like what's one of the problems I've noticed with, um, with the star Wars movies, um, particularly like rogue one and the end scene, the hallway with Darth Vader and he fights all the bad, he fights all the good guys. And people like really love that scene. Um, I think the problem is that same thing is evident in the Batman, the same kind of mentality where it's all reduced to like this, this power fantasy of, you know, I want to see the Batman punch bad guys in the face because that's the power fantasy that people want to project. It's like, as opposed to like, this is a deeply scarred and troubled man who's dealing with intense trauma and the Batman persona is a way of him, kind of processing his trauma. But if you look at the Dark Knight trilogy, through the whole trilogy, it was like there was a tension between Bruce Wayne and Batman where it's like, yeah, Bruce Wayne was like, Batman was the real um, identity and Bruce Wayne was the mask. But he was constantly trying to reverse that, right? Like Bruce Wayne, like Batman is not a happy character. He's not psychologically stable. And Bruce Wayne is the one who has a chance at happiness. And so for the entire trilogy, Bruce Wayne is trying to like make the Batman... Like, use the Batman to build a world where the Batman is no longer necessary so he can... Yeah, yeah. Uh, essentially, it was like the, the Batman's like a demon, right? Where he can he's trying to exercise his demon so he can get on with his life and find some semblance of happiness. And in this movie, there's no tension. It's just like... It's the cartoon power trip version or power fantasy version of Batman, where it's like, I just want to see Batman batmaning it up and punching bad guys in the face and yeah. punching walls and doing whatever he wants all the time with no consequences. It's like, yeah, which is like, it, it's again on a visceral level, it's fun to watch the cowboy come into town and you know, the vigilante clean up the streets. Yeah but it gets tiresome after a while if there's nothing underneath that, if there's no tension underneath that. And for me, that yeah. was, yeah, it's like, it's the most Batman we've seen on a screen in a Batman film. Like, hands down. He's like, he's always Batman. But like the lack well, of Bruce Wayne is like, it really highlighted how important those Bruce Wayne scenes were in previous movies. Yeah.
1: Well, it's really interesting. I want to go back in time here to the, the original four Batman movies that started with Tim Burton. Yeah. Batman and Batman Returns had very little in that way of the dual identity. Like it, uh, Michael Keane's Batman uh, was just kind of a, kind of a, a kooky, you know, rich character that like other, other characters were just like,
0: well, he's a mysterious person. Well, sort of, but it was also like, if you look at the first one when he was like with Vicki Vale, he was trying to have yeah. a life outside of being Batman, right? He was trying to create some kind of happiness. He was trying to have. Yeah. Yeah. He was trying to, there was a goal for Bruce Wayne, right? To not need the Batman or to tell somebody to bring them into the world, to have, bring him into yeah. his world, to have that family. So there was, again, it, it was done as, it didn't go as deep as the Nolan films, but there was something there, right?
1: Yeah. And then the second Batman, Batman Returns, I think there's even less Bruce Wayne in that one. And the third Batman with Val Kilmer is probably the most in depth we got with Bruce Wayne, where I think he's actively seeking therapy and stuff of that movie, right with Nicole Kidman's character. Uh, what was her name? Meriden Chase
0: or Chase, or, Chase was, Meridian? Chase Meridian, yeah, fantastic. Don't ask me I, how I, I knew that off the top of my head. <laughs> well, Nicole Kidman, come on. <laughs>
1: but there was just like he was, and I really love Batman Forever because he was kind of wrestling, even though it was a little tongue-in-cheek and a little cappy, Is that he, he was, was campy, wrestling yeah. like the dual relationships, like Batman. And Bruce Wayne both liked Chase, but Chase liked both of them for different reasons, right? I kind of liked how he was trying to juggle that, but we got a lot more Bruce Wayne in that movie uh, than we had
0: previously been accustomed to. It's telling that there's more psychological depth to the character in Batman Forever than in the Batman, where like there's that revelation at the end of Batman Forever, where he's like, now I'm the Batman, not because I have to be, but now because I choose to be. And like that goes deeper psychologically than the Batman ever goes with the character in this movie. <laughs> and like Batman and Robin, I really, it's hard to go back and watch, but Batman Forever, I think is like, as I think back on it, I look back on it with more fondness than I, I may have initially, or not initially, but like I may have, when I saw it as a kid, I loved it. And then I went through that period as like, oh, going back compared to the Tim Burton movies, it was so like lighthearted and campy, and yeah. But yep. now I'm like going back, kind of almost full circle, is like appreciating some of that tone shift a bit more, right?
1: And I'm kind of hoping that if we get a nice trilogy of this, is that we finally get like a Robin into the Batman universe, because that is also a really good way of pulling out Bruce Wayne and and his character dynamics and depth to bring someone who had sort of a similar like losing their parents and and teach them about you know this life of crime fighting and whatnot i think that can help deepen the bruce wayne character from the batman and maybe it's just that we'll get bad a little later on we're just missing it in this first film well
0: there was always like this weird kind of paradox um with the batman and the bat family right it was like you have the batman who we have the batman i keep calling the batman now because of this movie but you have batman (laughs) Who is like this lone ranger type is like he wants this tonight, this lone wolf rides alone. But like in the comics, he's constantly pulling people in and training and mentoring new people. Like you've got Batgirl and you've got Robin and you've got Nightwing and you've got another Robin and you've got all these other people around him. Well, this is kind of
1: like a different origin story for Batman where he hasn't learned that he can't do everything by himself yet. And it's just like, we've seen so much of solo Batman is the problem, right?
0: Sort of, but like the whole... Nolan trilogy was him like he had Alfred and he had yeah. um Lucius Fox to help him. He had Catwoman was helping him, he had um Yeah. The But the he fake didn't Robin. have the
1: bat he didn't have the I mean, and two of those characters you mentioned are only in the third film. And it's like we needed a like a Robin. we needed more of the bat family in the rest of the movie, but I mean or rest of the series, sorry, but anyways.
0: Yeah. But that to me is like one of the the fundamental failings of the movie is to like that that lack of psychological depth to the Batman. I know they try to bring it in. Here's the thing too, is like that whole idea of Batman who calls himself, you know, he introduces himself. Like when they ask like, who are you? He's like, yeah, I'm vengeance. It's like great scene. (laughs) Since shivers down my, sends shivers down my spine, I think it's pulled from a comic book run. I can't remember which one it was, but it's, it's, I think it's a quote or paraphrase of a quote from one of the comic book runs. Um, And then you have, well, a, you have other people calling him vengeance, even though they didn't they weren't there to hear that line. They're kind of like kind of mocking him a little bit in his self-seriousness. But it's like, I don't know if, like we're meant to say is like, oh, does he go around calling himself vengeance all the time because he doesn't introduce himself to Catwoman as vengeance, but she keeps calling him vengeance.
1: I have to assume something like that is just explained away in universe is like, well, he just told sort this of. group of thugs, I was vengeance and then. But these thugs would go around and be like, well, what did you guys run into? It's just like, he called himself Vengeance. And I think Catwoman there plays into that like flirty, kind of like joking manner, just like, yeah, the criminal underworld wants to call you vengeance and it's kind of goofy, you know what I mean? And I, I kind of feel like
0: Yeah. Um it's just it was just a weird okay. a weird choice. But like so there's this parallel between Batman and the Riddler, right? He Batman introduces himself as vengeance, and then then um the Riddler is trying to get vengeance on who he he sees as like corrupt people who are you know, at the core of the corruption in, in Gotham. And then at the end, when Batman's beaten the ever loving, you know, fluff out of this, uh, this <laughs> fluff, <laughs> ever loving shit out of this, out of this Riddler henchman, he pulls the mask off and then like, and Gordon's there asking, him like, who are you? And the, and the Riddler goon says, I'm vengeance. And like, yeah. all of a sudden Batman has this like, um, realizations like, Oh, so this parallels, that the filmmakers and Reeves are building up between Batman and the Riddler, so it's like, yeah, oh,
1: let's let's talk about that. Yeah, I actually made some notes. It's like I don't know if it was just so obvious, that even I myself picked up on the parallels between Riddler and Batman. But there's like four or five points here that we can that we can. Yeah, bring up. it was
0: definitely intentional. Like at the beginning, where you were talking about um, the movie starts, where you see somebody, you're looking through the same eyes. It's a first-person viewpoint, looking yeah, through binoculars. It's the your look. Yeah, and it's like. At the beginning, I was like, "Is this Batman looking at somebody, or is it the bad guy looking at somebody?" So right away, and there's a later scene where Batman is looking at—he's spying on Catwoman in the same way, and all of a sudden, so you get that parallel between. Because it's revealed later on that the person who was watching the mayor in the beginning was a bad guy, who's the Riddler, yeah. but you see that same methodology in what they're doing. You see the journal taking, right? The journal making. I
1: thought that was a really important scene earlier in the Batcave. Uh, Batman is journaling by hand, like he's physically writing this out mm-hmm. just as the Riddler does, I mean. Like maniacs, does more. like maniacs on paper? maniacs, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just like who writes their thoughts down on paper anymore? You just got to type <laughs> that stuff up on a computer. Nerd. But yeah. <laughs> and of course the the other point, of, like I think the Riddler mentions their mess. And even uh, like in that Quote unquote interrogation scene after Riddler is, is thrown into uh, <laughs> uh, Arkham or jail or whatever. Arkham, he, yeah. He, Riddler doesn't care who's behind the mask. He's just like, they are the masks, right?
0: Well, this is the thing that the movie tries to make deeper psychological points, right? Like the Riddler specifically says, you know, putting on the mask allowed me to be who I truly was, right? Yeah. Implying that you know, Batman slash Bruce Wayne is the same thing. We're putting on the Batman costume and the mask is allowing him to be the person that he truly is. It's like, it's that sense of playing into the Riddler's character too. It's like online anonymity, right? If you take away, it's like this idea of like taking away consequences. There's a dark side of this, right? If you take away consequences, it's like, oh yeah, I'm free to be quote unquote who I really am, which is like, that's a scary way of kind of looking at, people's identities right (laughs) if you were somehow consequence free that you do all kinds of terrible stuff it's like so it's trying to make that parallel between the the two characters as well but it doesn't do anything with that going forward like the the riddler makes an offhanded comment and it's unsettling at the time but if you go back like the movie doesn't build on that like it should have because that wasn't a great theme that they could have played with but to see like to see and then the whole thing with the riddler leaving the clues was that A, he was inspired by the Batman to act, right? And B, he thought that the Batman was working with him the whole time, yeah. that these clues were like their little secret code between them. It was k- kind of his like, he was obviously delusional, yeah. Um, but he thought that because he looked up to the, to Batman and he was inspired by Batman, he was leaving these clues like, oh, this is our secret game that we're playing together. So when Batman shows up and starts saying like, I'm not, I wasn't trying to help you. Like that was all just incident dental, like I'm going to try to stop you the whole time and you're crazy and your plan is crazy. And the goes crazy. Ah, oh, this is not how this is supposed to go. <laughs> like he thought they were best friends, right? It was almost like that's kind of stalker syndrome, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I really, I, 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 can appreciate that, but I want to talk about for a second here. One of
1: the big things I took away from on my initial viewing and being able to revisit it in the second viewing is the initial viewing. I was kind of left a bit, um, let's say disappointed that, Riddler is kind of like, you know, say a genius at making riddles and these clues, and he spends a lot. He spent a lot of time making these things. You know, he makes a maze with a black light, writing on it, all this yeah. fun stuff. But the issue is that I was expecting to go back to the film and like see something revealed at the end, but we're going to have actual clues at throughout the entire movie that maybe we just missed and rewatching the movie. There's yeah. nothing really there. There's no clues throughout. It's like, if you're watching a murder mystery or something, like you're watching like knives out for instance, where, yeah. <laughs> right. It's just like, you can go back and rewatch that and pick up on all these little details that you missed. But in Batman, there's none of that. And I think the reason is that the film Shoots itself in the foot by having the Riddler think he's pals with Batman. He is not a foible. He's not challenging Batman. He's just giving him clues, like a friend would give you a, a puzzle. Say, <laughs> like, no, "Why don't you go and solve that in your free time?" There, like you're. I'm third gonna keep grade doing what like, I'm doing. You would do yeah. that
0: with your friends, and like when your kids, like, let's make a secret code so we can write each other notes in class. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So Batman, like it doesn't matter if he solves these or not, because the crimes will continue. And the final crime, you know, in this movie, blowing up all the uh, uh, the levees around the city, <laughs> doesn't weren't hit it at in these clues at all. Like it wasn't something Batman had the ability to f- discover him on his own.
0: Yeah, this is the problem. Like if you look at the the films that's trying to emulate, like if you go back and watch Seven or Zodiac, um, Seven in particular, like watching it the first time and then going back and rewatching it and looking at all the clues is like, you're, you're seeing how everything kind of connects. And it's like, it's yeah. eye opening moment, And like, honestly, like the clues weren't, the, the puzzles weren't particularly challenging. Like the whole they thing were, with yeah. like the thumb drive and everything. And like, let me just say like, it was a joke for all the, for all the criticisms of police incompetence in the Nolan films. Like when they all went down the tunnels and stuff, <laughs> like the police were super incompetent in this film and super irrational. Like they went down to the car park. It's like they didn't, when, the, when they found the thumb drive clue in the car with like the obvious murder weapon yeah, uh, yeah. or like the, it was the shears used to remove the, the mayor's thumb sticking plainly in plain view, sticking out of the tires. You're telling me like the police didn't scour the entire apartment and, and the parking garage for clues. Like, Basic, like just basic police work. It was just like yeah. looking around the rooms in which. <laughs> and the only the rebuttal I would
1: have to to that is like we're also discovering how corrupt all the police are. Like one of the detectives is in in his off hours or his off duty hours, he's at the you know forty four below working with the penguin and Falcone, like he's on the payroll. That's the only thing I'll say with there. And I do yeah. still agree with your point. It's like they still miss things.
0: Part part of that, but it's like also when they. When they arrest Falcone, it's like there's like 200 cops out there who are not corrupt. was like odds are one of those because like that, that was that a crime scene. Bomb. That crime scene was just like there's like 50 cops in this one crime scene. was like what about the rest of the city? Do they not get patrolled? Like <laughs> that,
1: that, uh, that uh, yeah, the rest of Falcone was it was pretty funny in the second viewing of this movie because he they come out and Falcone is just like, don't you understand? Like I I run the police and. And uh, uh, Gordon uh, is basically saying, "Well, you don't, you don't own all of us." I've mean, had the doors open. There's literally 200 cops there. I-, I was expecting like maybe five or ten. Yeah. Because in other iterations of Batman stories, we have Gordon's like most trusted task force, right? And that's what I was yeah. kind of expecting here. And then finding <laughs> out, oh, maybe this is going to lead up into you know a James Gordon HBO Max series where he's got to clean up the police force. I thought that would be pretty cool. Also, just like but,
0: saying this right now is like controlling the police just reminded me of rick and morty and mr nimbus it's like he controls the police <laughs> what do you mean he controls the police? he just he controls the police <laughs> <It's> like, uh, <laughs> falcone was like uh <laughs> mr nimbus <laughs> what's his power he's like he just controls the police he just <laughs> controls them man but uh, yeah so there is some comic book movie logic that i'll let slide but it's like the question the problem is when the movies directly invite me to ask these questions like Firing off like hundreds of live rounds in a police station when Batman's trying to escape, as they're shooting well, like, at I each was other. Really <laughs> shocking, yeah. It's just <laughs> <was> like, like
1: <laughs> because Batman's zip lining up this giant stairwell, and there's pe- people on the stairwell, and the police at the bottom just start shooting blindly at him. <laughs> <laughs> Can we also talk about how invincible Batman was in this
0: movie? He is shot with automatic <laughs> rifles okay. at point
1: blank range, and Co- it doesn't affect again,
0: him. Good and the bad. The good, the back, bat suit looked. Um, it would look really slick. It looked really really good. I liked like the almost like homemade look of the cowl and everything, Yeah. and like how like I liked how the um his grappling hook was like built into his his yeah, uh, yeah. his um like his, his wrist guards his greaves there stuff. yeah his wrist guards yeah. and he's like it came out and it's like that's a really cool innovation I hadn't seen before It's like Batsu was like looked really cool but again it's like it was inv- he was like it, was like it was like he was literally wearing plot armor it's yeah. like he was taking full on like automatic weapon rounds point blank range which a like hundreds or thousands of rounds shrugging it off like nothing. And B it's like, none of those goons are getting hit by ricochets when they're like, literally like two feet in front of them still firing away. I have a feeling that like on the cutting room floors, a few shots of that, like,
1: especially that very first scene where he's being shot. And like, you kind of see sparks flying all over. I can't help, but think maybe to get down to like a PG 13 or something <laughs> for this film that they just cut out the scenes of like, the bad guys getting hit by those ricochets, but that's a little aside anyways. Yeah.
0: So like the bat suit, the problem is like the, the rest of the movie is telling me it's like, Oh, this is, it's set in like, if not our world then a world that's parallel to it and a world where the physical rules of their world are similar to the physical rules of our world. Mm -hmm. But then you're telling me like a, like it's immune to all gunfire. It's immune to, he can, he gets exploded at point blank range standing there stupidly. I might add for no reason, (laughs) <laughs> and it doesn't hurt him. The only time he gets her is like a shotgun for some reason, which I guess video game logic. Um,
1: shotguns, man. Yeah. Point shotguns blank always
0: shotguns are those most powerful weapons. Like it's true. Um, <laughs> but even before right before that he was like, he got hit by a shotgun blast and that took him out at the end because the plot needed it to. But just before that he got hit like full on point blank with a, with a hunting rifle and that didn't phase him yeah. at all. So like, but it took out what that suit did was it took out all tension in those scenes. It was like, he can get shot infinite times and it doesn't hurt him. So it's like, well, I'm, he's no danger of dying then. Like, what's I, the point? I can't
1: keep thinking about what you mentioned earlier, where it's like, this is the power fantasy, right? And yeah. that is the power fantasy of being invincible. And and I think just before this uh, recording, we were talking about playing a, like a video game. I'm playing yeah. a, a game where I just turn <laughs> on invincibility and and run through the game with in, infinite ammo because yeah. I just want to see the cutscenes <laughs> and stuff. It's just like I like that power fantasy. And yeah, I mean it is pretty powerful when you go into oh, yeah. a, a group of like twenty goons and they're all shooting at you and you just start laughing. It's but it basically makes Batman kind of like Superman because it's the most weaponry a criminal would have is guns. And when yeah. Superman flies in, it's just, it's no challenge. And Now when Batman flies in, he doesn't even have to move out of the way. He's just getting shot.
0: Yeah, he's like a tank, which I can appreciate, but it's like, I don't know what, what is that armor made of where like he's getting shot at, but he's like, he's not being bruised afterwards. So like it's some kind of magical Iron Man kind of armor. I don't and know. At least
1: with the Michael Keane Batman in, in the 1989, you know, he gets shot at the beginning of the film. He's still feels that that force he falls back Knocked down he gets knocked down right this one he's not even flinching it's just like he, he can't it also kind of makes me think all, all the effects were just like added afterwards in post like these aren't like you know on set little squibs or anything
0: yeah well i think too i think this was pg-13 correct i i believe so because like one of the influences obviously um the, the genre influences was like noir films um obviously like detective films and that kind of thing and so i think I was reading some reviews online, but like it had all like the, it had like the darkness of like the noir films, but none of the actual like grime. Yeah. It was dark, but it was still clean, right? You don't see, you see a little bit of the blood from like the, the murder of the mayor upfront, but you don't see a lot of, it's really mostly bloodless violence. And so it's like, it's, it's very, the, the, fi- the feel of the film, which um again, they did a great job at creating that atmosphere. It's like, it's dark and gritty, but it's still very clean and very sanitized. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's an overall kind of um, tension with the film that kind of, again, kind of fails for me. Like it succeeds in one way, like the cinematography is great, but talking about the themes of the film and the feel of the film is just like something, there's a disconnect there, right? Where they want to have their cake and eat it too, right? They want Batman to be like, Oh, vulnerable, but then you give him, um, turn on God mode and we're given, yeah. given the armor that can't you can't break, right?
1: So I got to move on a little bit from this and say something super positive about this movie. Yes. The music, okay? The score, dun, the use dun, of Nirvana's song, dun,
0: right? Dun, dun, It'll dun, stay in dun. your head for weeks. <laughs> and it's like,
1: while we're watching it again, it's like, oh, it is in like every scene. it's like, it is... Business like things are happening now when that music, like when Bat- Batman's cue comes on, it just oh, feels yeah. so good while you're watching it.
0: Listen, musically, they were on point. Like you were pointing out, the Catwoman theme, easily identifiable. There was a whole, I don't think, Batman suite where it's like that main theme, but there's also like it was, music was really well done. Same with like the cinematography and how it was shot. Like, yeah, the only the issue red I had, lights everywhere, yeah, like the, they really stuck to the red and black color theme, yeah. I didn't, what I didn't like though, the only thing I didn't like about the look of the movie was like, oh my God, it was so dark. Like, was, it was super was, dark. Was Gotham in the middle of like a blackout that they didn't mention or something? Or can, a brown we, Yeah, or Can something? we talk about Gotham here for a
1: second too? And, and just, I'll just add on to the darkness. Um, my dad went to see this movie in theater and when I was talking to him on the phone afterwards, he was talking about the Batmobile scene. Yes. And th- this is kind of twofold here. He loved the Batmobile. I love the Batmobile. Everyone loves the Batmobile. Yeah. And he made the point, I wish I could see more of the Batmobile. Like not just more runtime, but I wish I could see it on screen because the scene was so dark. The other aspect of that is that I saw the entire chase scene in the trailer for this movie. It
0: absolutely thing, right?
1: demolished that part of the movie for it. I was so disappointed, but it's like at least I got to see it on the big screen <laughs> and just like yeah. but I saw most of the trailer. So I
0: think- I think Ryan George, who does the pitch meeting videos there, yeah. he made in his pitch meeting um video for the Batman, he, he jokes about how um every Batman movie has to be darker and darker. Eventually we're just gonna have a black screen and it's like yeah, people yeah. reading audiobooks <laughs> or something. It's like it'll save us a ton of money. I thought that Tim Burton's Batman was shot pretty dark and like the Dark Knight trilogy is like it takes place mostly at night, but like Looking at those movies and like, everything. <laughs> everything's everything's still like well lit. It's dark, but it's well yeah. lit. You can see everything. Like you say, like, okay, one of the best scenes in the movie, that that bat that chase with the Batmobile where he's chasing yeah. down the penguin. Listen, again, that goes to show I think Matt Reeves um and his particular eye for action, whereas mm, like the way the yeah. cameras were mounted, like on the sides of the cars, or like framing the penguin in the car, um, and that kind of thing is like really well done, really. Clean. You could follow the action really well, but again, it's like, yeah, I want to actually see the action. It's like I know it's night time, but it's like, yeah, I don't know. This it's,
1: movie was drenched,
0: yeah, to, to the point where it was like it was made watching it kind of difficult sometimes because like it was like, it was just so oppressive. I was like, and stuff. I was like, I need, I want to see something. I know like Batman yeah. operates at night in the shadows, but like, in order for there to be shadows, there has to be light to contrast it with, right? Yeah, I'm not talking just like. Just like visually, but also like philosophically <laughs> as well, right? Like, <laughs> so, and, and I got to mention
1: Gotham here as well, because Gotham is as much of a character in Batman films than anything else. And it's something that I feel like they've kind of been lacking, obviously, in the Snyderverse. Uh, you know, Gotham Metropolis. Yeah. You know, Gotham is kind of depicted as just like these crime-ridden slums. In the original <laughs> Batman films, like Tim Burton's Batman, like a lot of gothic design, obviously yeah. really interesting Batman Forever and even Batman and Robin, like full of these giant skyscraper statues. Like yeah. it, it felt like a unique place. And then Nolan's Batman's very much grounded. You can see Chicago. You can see Pittsburgh where they filmed it. And this one, they chose to film again in Chicago. And you're seeing yeah. some of the elevator rails and you're like, is this literally just down the street from some of the, you know, the, <laughs> the Batman Begins? And it's just like it didn't have as much character going for it. And there was lots of skylines here that I'm sure were just like a bunch of added CGI towers and whatnot. Yeah. But I didn't really get like, I want to see a more garish and outlandish, uh, Gotham.
0: Yeah. Like that art deco style from the, uh, animated series. Yeah. That's what I always oh, associate with Gotham now. Right. It's like, like almost like, almost like that fifties or sixties with, what, what the fifties or sixties envisioned the future to be. Yeah. Like you see yeah. like the, like fifties or sixties future, like in the follow games. And it's like similar to, um, the Batman animated series. Like that to me is like, that always feels like Gotham, right? Yeah. That weird. It'd yeah, be
1: to see a live action dimension. version of that. And yeah. I think we got close <laughs> and even in Batman returns, the, the architecture and whatnot was pretty, yeah. pretty
0: unique. But I will say like, in terms of like different shots too, like, so the, the Batmobile chase was great. Like the fighting, even though like Batman couldn't take, um, he could take infinite hits with bullets. Like the choreography was still really, really good. It felt like it was like, it felt really well done like it was like it had weight to it when they were punching each other and stuff. Yeah. Um, there were some sh- iconic shots of like Batman and and Catwoman standing on that half finished structure. Um, another one where yeah. Batman was like leading people in the darkness there at the end. Um, so the really good. Like, I'll dare I say like even iconic imagery that's going to come oh, yeah. out of this. And so like, yeah, like the way it was shot, even though it was like a little bit too dark, I hope they ease up on that in future movies. I yeah. thought like overall the look of the film like really, really well done. And like individual scenes, great action and, and great, um, and great, like actual, like great shooting. Right. So like great yeah. framing of, of, of shots, right. It was, speaks to Matt Reeves, um, ability as a director. That is to say he is a really, really good director with a great eye for the visuals. Right.
1: How did you feel about the 176 minute runtime of this movie? One of the lengthier oh, wow. Batman films for sure. <laughs>
0: Listen, um, the first time in the theater with my son, I was just like so caught up and like, listen, I was like, it goes by quickly. I was, I was grinning a lot like that, that whole um, Batmobile when the Batmobile is revealed to the time, like he chases, like causes Penguin to crash and he's walking slowly towards him. And that upside down shot was again, amazing looking shot. Um, also like Batman is like super taking his time in this movie. He walks super slow (laughs) everywhere he goes. Well,
1: I kind of like that they, there's (laughs) some, and again, I'll offer a slight (laughs) rebuttal to the universe where he has the contact lenses that are doing all the recording. Right. And I like that he's going through a crime scene very slowly and he has to like stare at things, which is kind of ominous and creepy to everyone around him. But it's like, no, he's just literally recording to make sure he gets stuff, which I thought was really neat. That
0: makes sense in those scenes. But in other scenes was like, you need some urgency here, Batman. Like, the penguin can still have, like, a gun or a grenade <laughs> or something. It's like, you gotta, like, get up there quick. Yeah. yeah. Really cool shot, though. Like, it looked really, really No, really... He,
1: like, when he flips the car and, and he's walking yeah, towards he's him, like... and, like,
0: Penguin's, like, looking at him, like, in fear, and it's like, he's upside, it's all upside down. It's like, it's telling. I us- was, like, a. Yeah, it's telling a story that with a That was like shot. a shot
1: from like a Western through and through. Like you you, you just paint some spurs on Batman's uh, shoes there and it was just like, well, oh man.
0: I think you could workin'. actually in the sound mixing, I think they put in the sound of spurs when he was walking right? at certain point. Like that scene in <laughs> particular, but I think you asked me another question, but talking about the whole Western influence, I think I hadn't actually made that connection before between superheroes and Westerns and that lineage between mm, the, yeah. the Western, you know, cowboy or the protagonist of western films um there's a lot of parallels in terms of just thematically i'm going to kind of run through um some of them isolation right typically yeah. Um, the Western hero was like a loner. Asexuality um didn't quite play into this because he was um yeah. obviously flirting with Catwoman, but he usually doesn't have a relationship, right? Because he's focused on his work. Um vigilantism. I don't think I need mm. to explain that one yeah. uh, at all <laughs> with Batman. Um a clearly defined moral code and a sense of honor. Um obviously Batman's no killing rule, which again shows up here. Highly skilled, usually um really proficient, um, typically in violence. Normally like cowboys are firearms, but obviously, um, Batman's the martial artist with all his, uh, karate. I liked (laughs) how Batman was not very, um, chatty. Right. But just like the Western hero.
1: The silent protagonist. Yeah.
0: He would, he, when he did talk, it made all the more impact then. Right. Yeah. And then he's active, right? Is like most people are afraid to act, but like the, the Western hero is like, he's going to do whatever it takes. He's, he's the one who's going to spring into action. So there's a whole, I think the superheroes are part of that lineage, Batman in, in particular from cowboys yeah. to, I think, noir and detective stories to superheroes. And I think Matt Reeves and the writers were really smart to draw on, on that, that kind of genre lineage and that genre influence. Um, it did them a lot of favors. What was your initial question about the, r- oh, runtime. Yeah, yeah. Watching this the second time, um, I really felt the runtime a lot more, <laughs> especially that last third of the movie after they yeah. catch the Riddler and that tacked on. I was looking at people and like, the reasoning for that set piece battle and everything. And I was like, it still feels tacked on at the end.
1: I think that I saw best described in a review on Letterbox as a wet fart of a final
0: act. <laughs> 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 yeah. It was a, I guess a two-hour movie squeeze, two-and-a-half-hour movie squeezed into three hours, I think. Um, (laughs) And listen, so that also, again, so the whole thing about Riddler's motivation, we talked about um, Riddler earlier, where he was like, he was vengeance. He was trying to, like, he was targeting people who he thought were corrupt, right? Corrupt police officers, corrupt government officials. And then at the end, it's like, oh, no, I'm just going to blow up the seawall and kill hundreds of people randomly, and then we're going to, my um followers are going to have like an active shooter situation, yeah, um and then kill a bunch of random people. I was like, well, your ideology all of a sudden just shifted to like now you're an agent of chaos. <coughs> right? It's like <laughs> his shift into like targeted vengeance into just broad scale nihilism. It only makes sense in the kind of meta influence yeah. of the dark knight and and the Joker, who was like he was a nihilist and he was an agent of chaos, and he had like this he wanted to bring down people's moral code. And like, and it also only makes sense in the in the idea of the studio exec who wants to see is like we need a big third act or in this case fourth act um action set piece to yeah. end the movie off on.
1: Well you said it right there and I'll probably reiterating, but I mean he was targeting people who were very prominent, people who made promises and didn't keep their end of the bargain. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're you're literally going after the innocent people of
0: Gotham City by just drowning them. And it's just like it's pretty, yeah. As you said, I wouldn't mind so much. It's like it's a complete one eighty from his earlier motivations. Like the motivations just didn't make sense in that context. Yeah. Like they would have ended it shortly after that interrogation scene, or whatever. Find a way to wrap it up. Then is like that whole last act of the movie just felt so tacked on. That, that felt so. I don't know. Obviously, because we're not Hollywood insiders, that last half, uh, that last half hour of like the flooding and then. Batman going to stop this mass shooter situation. That felt so tacked up. That felt, that's that reeked of like studio interference to me. So we
1: got to talk about deleted scenes here. And, and most notably about a month or so after this movie came oh, out, yeah. they released on YouTube, a deleted scene that featured uh, a conversation between Batman and the Joker. Although I think he's kind of unnamed in the movies, very clearly the Joker who is already incarcerated yep. in Arkham. Uh, asylum or, or whatever prison they're blackgate or whatever they're using there. Um, do you think that was a wise move removing that scene from the movie? Like Uh-oh, uh, yeah. Do you think it was interesting that they had the Riddler mm. and Joker kind of a little quick scene with the two of them talking near the end of the film?
0: Um, I didn't like them talking at the end cuz it's like just if you're going to have the Joker just tell me it's a Joker. Like don't Yeah. Like don't like play these don't be coy about it. It's like, "Oh, who's this laughing?" Who's this character laughing maniacally in this other team? It's like it's always it's the Joker. It's the the like, why who are you trying to, who do you think you're fooling with this, right? <laughs> it's true. Again, I'm a mixed feelings about that scene. Because like the scene itself, I think that was it named Barry, Barry Corgan? What's the what's that actor's name? Barry uh, Kogan. Barry Kogan. He does I, I actually watched it a couple times and I was like, again, you, I think you see Heath Ledger's influence in that character again, because like, how could you not? Obviously, the living, yeah. even in Jared Leto's interpretation or Jared Leto's interpretation, you saw um, Shades of Heath Ledger in there. I think it's going to be a while before people are going to be able to kind of get out of that shadow because it was such an iconic performance. But that being said, it was a great little scene, right? Between Batman and the Joker. They probably made the the right choice to cut it out because it kind of slowed down pacing and didn't really tell them anything yeah. that they couldn't find out anyway, but, and it also raises all sorts of questions like, well, did Batman put him there already? Like what's the, the whole history there that raises a whole bunch of narrative questions that the film is, doesn't have time to answer with all Batman still walking and everything. And the the, the, the beautifully, gorgeously framed shots, but it's like Matt Reeves holds those shots for a long, long time to the movies, (laughs) both like to its benefit and detriment. I think in terms of like, it looks beautiful and you can follow the action. But on the other hand is like this is yeah. a long ass movie.
1: Before we jump into uh rating and collecting which uh I think we neglected on a couple previous podcasts. Um <laughs> are there any other positives or negatives that you want to
0: talk about before we move well, on to rating? Let me get my notes here. So on the on the positives too, I think there were some obvious I think we talked about the obvious influences of the Dark Knight trilogy and the Tim Burton's Batman movies, but I think there were some references to the 60s Batman series as well. Like with that, uh, that rotary old school phone there yeah, yeah. in the office, I think that was a direct, that has to be a direct reference to like the, the phone in the Batcave. Yeah, in the, 60s, the old right? phone. Yeah, definitely. And then when he was like running down the side of the building, like yeah. that has to be like a reference to them. <laughs> they used to have like turn the camera on its side and have them like crawling up the, yeah. with the rope on the, on the side of the building. So I think there was like even some neat little nods to, um, the sixties. Yeah, um, Apparently the, Batman. in the bat
1: cave, there was like a, a statue, like a bust of a, of a person well, I was gonna in say, this one. That was also from the original one where they would flip up his head and push the button to like open up the entrance. I was of the actually going to
0: ask you about that because like I, I looked at that bust and I was like, that can't be, I was like, was that an yeah. homage as well to like the sixties version? Cause like that immediately stuck out to me.
1: I, I haven't explored all the YouTube videos of like, you know, the 40 Easter eggs you missed in, in the Batman, but uh, I think that would be worth watching. We could probably spend a lot of time yeah. talking about that.
0: I think like all the performances, we didn't talk about Jeffrey Wright as Gordon. Um, He was Incredi- pretty incredible, even though he wasn't given a whole lot to do, but like Jeffrey he was Wright. was at least
1: present quite a bit in the film. Yeah.
0: Jeffrey Wright was really good. John Turturro. Um, oh, who's like, he's, he's on a, fire he's, right now. Yeah. He's famous as a character actor, mostly kind of a supporting character, but like yeah. he did a really good job as this imposing villain, Carmine Falcone, yeah. Falcone in other movies is Falcon Another other, pronounced Falcone yeah. here. But yeah, John Turturro did a really great job again. Was it Peter Sarsgaard? Um, as a yeah. was DA who I think he's married to Maggie Gyllenhaal. So they both been blown up oh. in a Batman movie. <laughs> 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 I think it was the, a was the joke. Uh, so that's, that's kind of a neat little connection. Um, again, like pulling on those influences from David Fincher, um, and other noir stories, pulling on influences from Westerns. I thought that was really, really great. Um, the cinema cinematography was really great color scheme, aside from being too dark all the time was really, like really <laughs> kept like the, until the very end where like Batman is like realizing it's like, Oh, I, instead of just being a tool of vengeance, I can be a tool of hope. And like when, when that person is being airlifted out and he's looking up and and it's like, it's finally Batman's in the daylight. It's like, okay. So like thematically it kind of works, but for the rest, but like for the actual visuals, it's kind of frustrating. Um, what else good about this fight scenes, bat suit we talked about. was really great parallels between the Riddler and Batman. It was really smart in terms of like having them like looking at their ideology and seeing like how they were the same and how they were different bad, what do we say? Yeah, I think I've mentioned that already about like how it was like it walked the line sometimes between it crossed the line, I think, between influence and imitation sometimes. I mean, if you look at the Nolan films and thematically what they they delved into things a little bit deeper, but the Batman was like a purely everything was surface level, right? It was a, it was a great action movie, but like every time like going back and thinking about it and watching it a second time, there's nothing really deeper. Even the themes of going from vengeance to hope It was very, very surface level. There wasn't, I didn't, I didn't feel that there was anything much more to dig into there to like, or to dig deeper on based on what I was presented in the text. One thing that really didn't work for me and it stuck out like a sore thumb. And I don't know, maybe you feel differently about this, Brian, the voiceover that bookended the movie. Okay. I I know. I'm glad you brought this up. (laughs) I know this is like a staple of kind of noir cinema. I think it was partially, it wasn't, the, I don't know if it was the delivery, like the writing on those, those monologues was not great. We we're talking about like the scars and how scar it's, it felt like I was, they were reading out of like a, a, a 14 year old's journal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I could understand like Bruce Wayne, Batman kind of being a little like childish, a little immature. Well, in he even says at one
0: point, he literally says at one point to uh, Alfred's like, you're not my dad. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like a little angsty teenager, and like those voiceovers that, are so that rough. That
1: point, there too, because that, that's an important uh, contextual scene where Bruce Wayne goes to see Falcone uh, to discover the corruption and bad things that his father, Thomas Wayne, did. And basically, Bruce just kind of believes this guy who is a known criminal for the past 20, 30 years. And then go, ben goes to talk to Alfred and be like, you lied to me all these years. Why do you lie to me? And Alfred's like, it didn't really work out that way. Like, you think Falcone's telling you the absolute truth here? And Bruce well, is yeah. just like, oh, yeah. But it's literally one scene to the next and makes Bruce look like an idiot, basically. There's no it's narrative like, tension.
0: That would have been kind of cool. It's like, oh, maybe he's carrying this around with him for the whole movie. And then he finally gets cleared up. It's like, that's the other thing, too it takes Batman the whole movie to realize like, Oh, the obvious bad guy is bad. Yeah. It's like, it takes you three hours to figure this out. It's was like, well, he was obviously bad from the very beginning, but it takes you the whole movie to figure out that he was bad. I was like, I was like, Oh, the, the obviously bad guy lied to you. It's like, wow. And it's like, you're the greatest detective not to travel. Like, listen, he does. This is the first movie we've seen, I think where he's doing like actual detective work and people were pretty stoked about that. And like, listen, yeah. it was pretty cool to see him let's see that part of the character come out. But on the other hand, like Batman is not coming off like super intelligent here. I think the, the Riddler had it. It's like, Oh, you're not as smart as I thought you were. And it's like, yeah, I have to agree with you there. Paul Dano, (laughs) AKA the Riddler.
1: Well, there's a whole scene where the penguin is like a kind of like deriding them for, for, They uh, they
0: don't know their Spanish properly. Yeah.
1: They don't know their Spanish properly, which was like a big part of the clue. And it's just like, Oh yeah. The Riddler is like really thinking too highly of Batman. It's just like, he's not the great detective at, that everyone thought he is. Yeah. But also,
0: did you? Uh, sorry, did I miss it? Did you enjoy the voiceover or did you have the same misgivings that I did? Or Yeah, so
1: I wanted to, these were like the final two points that I had in my notes and you basically delved into both of them there. But the narration, the very beginning of the movie, it, it's Batman, you know, Bruce Wayne narrating. Yeah. And I got immediate Blade Runner vibes off the second viewing of oh. this where uh, his narration was describing exactly what was going on on the uh, screen. Yeah. And I, I kind of felt like muting the film because he's talking about how He's been operating for a couple of years, and every time a criminal looks in the uh, in the shadow, they think Batman's there. But the on screen is telling you exactly this, and I think the narration really misses yes. the, the mark because there's almost like a montage: like a guy robs a convenience store, comes outside, sees the bat symbol in the sky, then he immediately looks down like this dark alley. Uh, we as the audience can piece together Bat-symbols, Batman. Yes. Dark Alley is where Batman would come from. And the <laughs> criminal is scared. And then they do a second one where, I can't, I can't remember what the criminal does, but it's the exact
0: same situation. Spray He's like painting, looking. And the can drops yeah. and rolls in the shadows and he it looks It rolls over. into the
1: shadows. It's just like, yeah, you expect not like in there after to that. step out. <laughs> and I thought that was much more effective visual storytelling than just narration. But I mean, the first time I watched it, I didn't, I didn't really care. I was just like, this is no. happening. But I thought- yeah, we didn't need the narration you, here.
0: You nailed it on the head. Because if you took out that narration, you'd know exactly, you get exactly the same story from yeah. that narration. And I wonder if that's like a studio note, the same as Blade yeah. Runner um, and that disastrous narration in the, in the first theatrical cut there.
1: And then there's the subway scene, of course, where he does finally come out of the shadows and beats up all the guys. So we have our... Our, our uh, dun, 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 you know, being able dun, to yeah, the music kicks in and it's just dun, like dun, we see dun. Batman doing his thing and he's really good at it. Character established. Let's move on.
0: Yeah, and then that that anything is like, oh, maybe the scars will. You know, we learn after the scars heal, we're stronger. And it's like this is such like cliched nonsense to be like even like some of the writing points like some of the writing is really good and then you get like stuff like Catwoman like blurts out a a, such a stupid cliched line it's like oh maybe we're not so different after all it's like oh my (laughs) god can we have like one blockbuster movie where it doesn't (laughs) spout that stupid line it's like this is the thing it's like so frustrated with the movie because like it's like it's on the cusp of being amazing and it just like keeps like shooting itself in the foot. Yeah. But it bounces off the armor, I guess. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, the other point that I wanted to uh, talk about, I think we kind of mentioned uh, just recently, is much of the movie is, you know, Bruce coming to terms with discovering that his father, his legacy isn't as, you know, good as they thought it was. And having recently played the Telltale game uh, of Batman, that basically handles the exact same topic. But of course, being a game that takes place over you know four or five hours, yeah. might explore that a little bit better. Did you play those Batman Telltale games?
0: I played the first one. The I think first there one, several,
1: right? I, there were two of them, and the okay. second one deals more with the Joker. But in the first one, and hopefully this isn't too spoilery, uh, they basically like the the secret society that would you know the antagonists of the movie are kind of. Uh, undermining who Bruce Wayne is and like trying to destroy his credibility to the point where Bruce Wayne goes into a psychiatric hospital where he meets up with uh, John Doe, who turns out to be the Joker in the next game, right? But that was so much more effective here Sorry, in the game but it was in the movie where it's just mainly hinted at. And maybe it's just, there's just too much story. I mean, I can understand if I'm not fully exploring those themes in this, but yeah. it was a significant plot point that he spent numerous minutes of the movie uh, talking to people about his father's legacy and his motivations.
0: Well, it's telling that relationship that that memory that Bruce has of his father. Like if you wanted to make that a main plot point, to make that one of the character's kind of underlying motivations, or, or you know, build that into the character's psychological complexity, that's something you need to like introduce way, way earlier in the film, so yeah. that you can see that Batman slash Bruce Wayne is grappling with that. Is like, oh, was my father corrupt? And like, have him like, and like, is is my entire legacy just like, am I part of that same corruption? Which they kept hinting at. Well, sort he even of.
1: mentions it. Yeah, he's just like, "Oh, what?" Like, I, I'm doing, I'm continuing my father's work here of cleaning up the city as Batman. If he finds out that his father may not have been having the best interests of the city in mind, right?
0: Yeah, that he had that a that he unintentionally through his friendship with Falcone or Falcone rather had that journalist killed, who was mm-hmm. looking into um, Martha Wayne, um, Bruce Wayne's mother. I guess she had um, um, a history of. um mental illness in her family and with her, with herself where she had spent some time in a mental facility and his father, Thomas Wayne was running for mayor. And so like, because it's like potentially political, politically damaging to have your family's dirty laundry aired, even though it's like, maybe it's, you know, in this day and age, it's like, yeah, it's more kind of normal to talk about mental health issues, but still there's that public perception that could hurt somebody's campaign. So he just like, he just didn't want her to have to go through that suffering the the public humiliation of people picking apart their lives. So he's like, went to Falcone He's like, just make this guy be quiet. And he didn't really realize like talking to like a mobster, you know, the bad guy who's obviously bad. He was like (laughs) use any means necessary. He's like, he's going to kill him. So he did that. But then he also set up that Gotham renewal fund, which after he died was essentially um, used as a front. It was was essentially what he, his father did was create this perfect front, uh, a charitable organization with no oversight that people were essentially using to launder money. Um, all the criminal organizations, including the corrupt cops and the Moroni yeah. crime family and the Falconi or the Falcone operation, um, they were using the Gotham Renewal Fund essentially to launder all their money to to do all their payouts and everything. Right, yeah. so it's like this whole legacy of corruption, which Batman, such Bruce Wayne, doesn't really isn't really connected to. It's not really wrestling with that a whole lot. In um, yeah. a couple scenes at the end. But again, like that would have been more compelling if you'd like at the beginning have that come out and he's wrestling with that through the whole movie and like, and, um, you know, um, Andy Serkis, um, AKA Gollum, AKA Alfred isn't there to (laughs) answer his questions. And so he's like, it's boiling up with him through the whole movie, right? Um, And then it's like that end scene is like create that tension. It's like, it's just weird. This is weird uh, phenomena in modern blockbusters. We saw the same thing in Star Wars rise of Skywalker and I hesitate to compare these two movies because rise of Skywalker is a terrible film and (laughs) the Batman is not terrible, but there's the one scene in particular I'm thinking of, or one element I'm thinking of in particular in the narrative where Chewbacca seemingly killed on the shuttle that explodes. But in the very next scene, it's revealed that he was on a different shuttle and he's still alive. So it's like, there's no, they don't let that tension play out to the character's benefit or to the audience's benefit. The same thing here in the Batman where like, one scene, Batman finds out, oh, my dad may have done some pretty shady stuff. The next scene's like, um, Alfred Gollum is like, no, no, it's, he it was obviously the bad guy is bad and he was lying to you. And he's, it's like, your father made some mistakes, but he's not bad. And it's like, oh, the tension's deflated immediately or that, that tension's resolved immediately. But that tension should have been one of the driving tensions in that character through the whole film. Again, good, but not great. It's like frustratingly close to greatness.
1: Yeah. All right. So w- with all that, w- what are you landing on for your rating? And uh, for our listeners, we rate movies out of five stars. Uh, the Letterbox standard, w- that also enables us to provide a heart, like a like for the film. So <laughs> out of five stars at a possible heart, what do you <laughs> land on the Batman?
0: So I give the Batman a three and a half out of five. Um, so it was... Definitely above average. It was a well-made movie, well-acted, well shot, a little dark, but still well shot. (laughs) Um, But I also did give it the heart um, just because, listen, Batman is one of my favorite characters, um, superheroes to see on screen or to to, to read about. So just being able to see a movie, especially for me, was the experience of being able to share that with my family, like me and my son being able to go and see a new Batman movie on the big screen. Listen, on a surface level, um, the Batman is really, really fun to watch. It's got some exciting um scenes. Like I know there's like a lot of detective work and a lot of um you know puzzling stuff out, but there's a lot a lot of exciting action elements to this like the Batmobile chase and there's some there's some fights going on with Batman and some thugs. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on. So to be able to to watch a well made Batman movie a on the big screen, B with my family, and just C in general. Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm, I'm. That's just always going to be. That's something special to me. Um, to, to see that. So like, but the three and a half out of five. It's just because like, oh, there was like I like we've gone over again. Like, so much, so much goodness in this movie. Um, and it's just, it's almost like the, the movie was intent on tripping itself up. It's like <laughs> I'm going to be great here. It's like nope, no, I'm not. Gotcha. <laughs> so it's like for me, it's like yeah, it's really fun watch like tons of fun for me to watch this i had a i had a smile on my face a grin on my face watching this on the big screen yeah. um almost the whole time um but really nothing below the surface level for me to dig into which maybe, maybe over subsequent watches i'll i'll read it higher or lower but like it's a solid three and a half out of five for me with the heart yeah. so that extra is kind of wow factor for for batman yeah, that's how about you fun. brian what did you uh What'd you place uh, this uh, movie at?
1: Yeah. The first time I watched it, like hand out of the theater, you know, I probably gave myself 24 hours to give it a rating and I landed at four yeah. and a half stars. Uh, I was walking oh, nice. out with a pretty big high on the film. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed everything I saw. You know, the three hour runtime was like no problem. Watching it again, just over a month later, I knocked it down to four stars. Uh, there yeah. were a few things. And, and again, as I mentioned, I think at the beginning is like, maybe I was approaching this with a little... Bit of a critical eye on the second viewing. And I think some bad criticism is pretty fair to level against the film. I don't think it's, you know, it's not a five-star Batman film. It's a really good Batman film. It's a yeah. lot of fun to watch. I am really looking forward to what they do next. And I kind of like this little um, mini Batman universe that they might build. And I like the characters. There's a lot to like about the movie. We've talked uh, quite a bit about it, but um yeah, I, Go ahead.
0: Sorry. That being said, too, now that Matt Reeves has done the Planet of the Apes big budget movie, he's done Batman big budget movie. I really want him. I hope he's earned the capital to go and do his own thing. Yeah, and like I want to see like I want to see a Matt Reeves movie that's not a remake, it's not a sequel or prequel or reboot, something wholly original directed by Matt Reeves. Um, I want to see what this guy can do with more of like a mid budget um, thriller where he's not, or a mid budget, not just thriller, but a mid mid budget movie where he's not beholden to hit those kind of blockbuster superhero tropes and and story beats and character beats where he's free to to tell a story in his own way. I think it would be really, really amazing to see, see what, what uh, Matt Reeves is able to do next. Now that he's got that kind of street cred in, in the Hollywood circles. I hope that he's able to leverage that and give us some of his own vision.
1: Without a doubt. And I think I know the answer to this question, but are you going to be buying this movie (laughs) on home release like a physical media release? You know, we we do collect movies quite a bit and it's something uh, we kind of neglect to talk about on the show. But what's your approach to collecting the Batman?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is an automatic pickup. It's a Batman movie. It's a well-made Batman movie. It's a movie that I enjoyed. And again, it's like despite it feeling a little bit long on the second watch, it's still like, I want to get this thing back up on the screen again. Um, I don't know when it's coming yeah. out, but um, I don't, this isn't one of those ones I'm going to wait for it to maybe go down in, in price too much. I want to have this in my collection uh, as soon as possible.
1: Yeah. So that was kind of my approach to uh, buying this movie is that I ended up pre-ordering one of the steel book copies uh, that are more, somewhat more limited edition. It was one of those things where normally I'd want to wait for a movie to come down in price to, you know, $15, 20 because they come out at 35 bucks. And I say, you know yep. what? This is a 100% of a movie that I'm going to watch many, many times over the next decade. I'm going to pick up the little bit of expanded packaging with a steelbook. Uh, so I'd put that pre-order in and I'm looking forward to seeing it in all its 4K glory. I mean, we're oh, watching yeah. the stream of it online and it's like... The, you know, the physical media should be a tick above it in quality. I'm oh, looking yeah. forward to it. And honestly, I'm sitting thinking about it. I don't think there's a single Batman movie that I don't own on physical media aside from a few of the animated movies because there's a lot of animated movies, right? All the live action movies are in my collection.
0: Yeah, I'm missing, I'm missing the Joel Schumacher movies. Not because I hate them, but just because I haven't gotten around. I think I was going to pick them up on blu-ray but then i think there's 4k releases now it's kind of playing the waiting game to see if they would come down in price a little bit
1: and they look amazing in 4k
0: yes <laughs> i kind of figured like those that's the thing like 4k is really great for those big budget action movies because that's that's where you're going to get uh, the payoffs for that right
1: that's a wrap on another episode of the real film chronicles podcast thank you for listening and hanging out with us today We really appreciate your support and look forward to you joining us for the next episode. We can be found around the internet and social media, with our home base being realfilmchronicles.com, which will have all the links you need to follow and keep in touch with us. Until next time, take care of yourself and others, and keep your film journey going.
0: over here. Hey, I'm the penguin over here.